What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. If you're a low-income person or if you're on Social Security and you don't get much so you don't have to file income taxes, you have until today to fill out a form and apply to get the 500 bucks for your kids. And if you don't do it today, you will not be able to reapply. This is for the stimulus check. You won't be able to reapply until next year. The latest little roadblock that the Trump administration has put up to make sure that low-income people don't get any money. On the line with us is Alex Lawson, the big cheese, shall we say, executive director over at Social Security Works. He's also the host, producer of programming over on We Act Radio in Washington, D.C., and the stage itself, our uh, D.C. affiliate. SocialSecurityWorks.org is their website for Social Security Works. A-Law202 is his Twitter handle. Welcome back to the program. I understand that the Trump administration is proposing to try to help out low-income people, particularly people on Social Security who are getting such a small amount of Social Security that they don't need to file taxes every year. Tell me about this uh, benevolent uh, new action coming out of Donald Trump and Mike Pence and friends. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Benevolence is exactly what it is. So late Monday afternoon, uh, right around 5 o'clock, the IRS drops a notice on their website, and they email it to people who have signed up to receive these specific uh, notices, which, you know, I do because I'm the executive director of socialsecurityworks.org, but these are not widely read circulars, and they say that anybody who is receiving Social Security and has a dependent child who qualifies for the $500 economic recovery check has to apply by Wednesday, by tomorrow at noon, at a specific link that they send out. It has to be online. So they have basically one and a half days to do this. And otherwise, they do not get the $500 for their dependent child. And just to give you, a, you know, what we're talking about here, it's around 4.1 million children receive Social Security benefits. And there's a variety of situations that that can be in. But these are the dependent children, 4.1 million dependent children. And about a third of Social Security beneficiaries don't file taxes because their income is so low. So you're talking somewhere north of a million children who are not going to get this $500 check that they qualify for because of the COVID emergency, because the IRS, the Trump administration doesn't want them to get it. That's why they did it this way. So this is not some weird little thing that got written into the law by accident. Nobody noticed. This is a brand new intentional effort, a change in the application of the law by the Trump administration, specifically just to screw low-income people on Social Security? Yes. There's no way you can see it any other way, right? I mean, Tom, you know, the reason that Kafka wrote all the stuff, the reason we have the word Kafka-esque is because there is immense power in a government bureaucracy. So the law was written, and the clear letter intent on the law is that these children 
who are going to be some of the the most impacted children, dependent children of folks receiving Social Security benefits, could be a grand family, meaning a grandparent raising a, a child. There's a bunch of different scenarios, but these are folks who need this economic recovery, who are disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. And so the law intended for them to get this. Then it comes down to Mnuchin, to the foreclosure king. That's funny, though, because I think he is the bailout his friend's king, too. It comes down to Mnuchin's territory over at Treasury, and they create a bureaucratic hurdle knowing that no one can get over it. Some minuscule number of people are going to get over this. They had one and a half days. That means we have to let around one million people know that they have to do this, let them know what they have to do, and they have to have access to the Internet in order to do it. This is specifically what you do when you don't want somebody to get what they're owed. Well, back when Rick Scott was the governor of Florida, he famously, I mean, it was bragging rights back then, reconfigured his unemployment program in the state of Florida, where you no longer could go to an unemployment office in person. You no longer could even make a phone call. You had to use the uh, online you know, way to do it. And Florida has had uh, one and a half million people apply for unemployment benefits, and about 40,000 of them have actually gotten something. The system was badly broken, but Scott was bragging about this apparently back in the day, or at least people around him were, that this was going to, that, that in fact it did. It radically drove down unemployment taxes because nobody could get unemployment. Is this the same thing? I mean, is there some sort of evil political agenda here? We want to save some of this bailout money or something? Or is this just spite? I mean, I don't understand what would motivate them doing this. Is this some Stephen Miller thing that he discovered that a lot of the grand families of, you know, grandparents taking care of kids were among Hispanic and black population? What the hell's going on here? I'm grasping at straws trying to come up with some possible rationalization for why these guys would do this. I know it's hard. We said today in our statement, it's so fast, and but it's really hard to tell. Is this just incompetence? Is this malice? Is it a mixture of incompetence and malice? I'm a big believer in the Alex Lawson rule of Washington, D.C., which is it's always Veep. It's never House of Cards. By I've that, never watched either show, so wrong. I don't know what you mean. It's usually just bumbling incompetence, but that's usually on the political side. When it comes to what this administration has done, they seem to be driven by mean-spiritedness. They do a lot of things that, and this will probably be the same, in the end it will cost more money, right? Because there's going to be lawsuits and all sorts of stuff from it. The malice is the point. Hurting people is the point. It's hard not to take that away from this when you see the totality of evidence of what the administration has done, and then to drop this notice on a Monday, Monday at 5 p.m., and be like, oh, yeah, you have until Wednesday at noon. And let me just say, I really appreciate you letting me come on at the last minute to talk about this. I do want to tell people that if this does apply to you, you do have to go to irs.gov slash coronavirus, then you can find the right form to fill out. But, Tom, I'm sort of at a loss for why specifically you would target this population. You know, like, right. why, why this population? It's just, it's so mean. It's so wrong. We're going to fight back. But, again, they gave us such a short time to raise our voices. And we do have some allies in Congress, so people should call their members of Congress to uh, just yell at them about letting the Trump administration get away with this. But also it shows that they need to put a much stricter guidelines, legal guidelines on the money that they're shoveling over to the Trump administration because left to their own devices, malice seems to win the day. Absolutely amazing. And the number, if you want to call your elected representatives, is 202-225-3121, 202-225-3121. We have talked in the past about Social Security trust fund and all that sort of thing. With all these people losing their jobs, they're no longer paying into Social Security. Are we looking at a crisis? The trustees report comes out tomorrow, Tom. So well-timed question. The short answer is no, there's no crisis. The longer answer is it puts 
more emphasis on our need to ensure that millionaires and billionaires pay the same rate as the rest of us into Social Security, because we're going to need to expand benefits coming out of this. That's what this crisis has done, shown the need to expand benefits. There you go. Alex, you're the best. Alex Lawson, the executive director of Social Security Works and We Act Radio in Washington, D.C. SocialSecurityWorks.org is the website. Alex, thank you again. Thank you, Tom. On the line with us is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the Silicon Valley area of California in the U.S. House. And for people who might just be tuning in for the first time, Congressman Connor comes on periodically and takes your calls. And Carol in Battle Creek, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Thanks. The crux of the matter is, is I heard something on MSNBC this morning, Joe, with Richard Haas and the Council on Foreign Relations. And they were, in my view, promulgating this thing about getting back to business as usual with China against some calls for perhaps sanctions against China, given all that's happened with the COVID-19. So they were seen as though that we're scrambling for supplies and PPE. The warning is that we're not making or manufacturing anything in this country anymore. So what would the Democrats be doing to make sure that perhaps we should be manufacturing key essential things and things that we use as consumers in this country again? and not getting back to business as usual China. And let me add to that, Congressman, basically what Donald Trump did when he was running for president and talking about bringing our jobs back is he was running to the left of Hillary Clinton. The Democratic Party historically has been the party that wants to keep manufacturing in the United States, although we've made a a weird turn in 1992. But it looks like he's fixing to run to the left of Joe Biden now. To you. Well, Carol, you're absolutely right. I mean, the point is that we do need to bring our manufacturing back. That creates a huge amount of jobs. It was left because of bad policy decisions on uh, trade liberalization that didn't protect workers' rights. It left because of underinvestment by our government in long-term industry that we needed. And this has shown our vulnerability. It's not that we just don't have the capacity to advance things. I mean, we don't have enough masks. We don't have enough ventilators. These are not hard things to produce. They should be being produced in the United States. And I think this should lead to a democratic platform for what it's going to take to rebuild America in critical industries. And Biden should be talking about that so he doesn't let Trump get to his left. I should add, you wrote a book about this, <laughs> about manufacturing, right? <laughs> I, I was I almost eight years ago, but I was talking about the critical industries and the needs for why any nation still needs a manufacturing base and why those are good-paying jobs and they support the communities and are critical for national security, which this is, yeah. a national Amen. security crisis, this pandemic. Yep. Mike, in Boynton Beach, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hey, how are you today? I just had a question. How will the Democratic Party address the shortcomings of private industry and also governments, departments to handle this. Online, you hear a lot of progressives saying that this is just exposing all the shortcomings of the system that has been laid out for like the last 30, 40 years. Well, Mike, I completely agree with you. I mean, there are people who are now finding out firsthand what it's like to have private insurance. I tell people, uh, you know, I'm mild asthma and I get a shot every month and it turns out that shot is not covered by insurance. And so that keeps your lung capacity fine. And in my case, it's not going to be bad. But think about it. They're denying a, a member of Congress. Think of what they're doing to other people. And what we're seeing is it's not just the working class. It's many Americans who are now seeing the problems with the private health industry. There are many Americans now who are struggling with housing costs and paying mortgages and rent. There are many who are seeing the dangers of not having that much savings because most Americans can't save. Uh, So I think this is going to lead to a call for a much stronger safety net in this country and for the government to really be doing things like basic health care and education that the private sector in health care has failed at. David in Spotswood, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, good afternoon to all. My concern is has been the both the stimulus bill and the reckless spending by the Federal Reserve. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's been tens of trillions of dollars if you count the bank stabilization that they did in January and February. And I've, quite frankly, I think it's a ripoff of um, the baby boomer generation. Let me 
quickly depict what Japan did in their debacle 20 years ago. They let the Bank of Japan buy stocks, treasuries, and, and corporate bonds. And what happened is, is every time the stock market went up, the Bank of Japan would just unload their balance sheet, which means their stock market went nowhere. And with no interest being paid out, and, and baby boomers only have the choice of buying stocks and equities, and I'm fearful that the same, I'm not fearful, I know that the same thing is going to happen, and I don't know how the Federal Reserve is doing it without congressional oversight. Thank you. Well, David, I appreciate the point that some of the stimulus is going to corporations that didn't even have a few months of reserve for payroll. I mean, think about these multi-billion dollar corporations. They were giving the money to shareholders. They were engaged in stock buybacks, and they couldn't put away one or two months of, of savings. And I think if the resources were really going more targeted to small businesses and to workers, that's one thing, but that hasn't been the case. I mean, the small business program, the PPP program, the first round almost entirely went to companies with over 200 employees who had relationships with the banks and not to the mom-and-pop stores. So I am for government spending and stimulus if it's really helping the working class and middle class. I'm not for us spending these trillions of dollars if it's just going to be bailing out corporations. Over the weekend, uh, Louise and I discovered when Trump came on TV, we were looking for something else to watch, and we discovered <laughs> the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is on our Apple TV, and we were watching CBC News. Everybody in Canada is getting $2,000 a month until this thing is over. No questions asked. It's a real easy form. You can fill it out online. It takes three days to get the money. Why can't we do that here? Well, that's my bill. Literally, it's Tim Ryan and I have a bill, $2,000 a month, up to the coronavirus ends for 12 months. It would help people make rent. It would help them pay for groceries. It would help them basically survive in a time where they're out of work. And so I agree with you, and we're pushing for that in the stimulus. Good luck. Good luck. I wish you the very best with that. Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing Silicon Valley and the U.S. House of Representatives, is with us taking your calls in this national town hall meeting right here on the Tom Harvin program. Vern in Wilhelmina, Oregon. Vern, you're on the air with Congressman Cotta. I wanted to talk about the wage scale being stretched by percentage raises in the whole system of economics over the 70 years that I've been alive. I was in a place where the unions were in charge of the raises, and the raises were fairly level throughout the workforce, and that kept the middle class, the bulk of the population was middle class in those years through the 50s when I delivered papers. And since then, well, 40s and 50s were like that, uh, fairly level, and that's why the middle class was so healthy in those years. And later now, since it's been a percentage situation, raises, which from the 60s going forward. So, Vern, forgive my interrupting you, but, you know, time is tight. Are you saying that back in the day everybody got like a $1,000 raise and now everybody's getting a percentage of their income, so really rich people are getting much huger raises than low-income people? Is that what you're saying? And is that your Correct. question? For it's, it's totally okay. stretching the population. Yeah, I got it. Okay, let's get Congressman Connors' response. Gordon, it's a very thoughtful point. I mean, the, the reality was that the disparity of compensation is just exponentially increased over the last 30 years. And you saw the CEOs at one point may have been making 20, 30 times their ordinary employee, not 200, 300, 400 times. And part of it, I think, is perhaps the increase in raise, but part of it is that more and more of the compensation has been tied to stock performance, and we have a shareholder-driven capitalism as opposed to a capitalism where people are focused on building things and adding value. And we need incentives for companies and requirements that they don't have massive differentials between CEO pay and worker pay. But we also need, in my view, a longer regulatory reform to prevent the short-termism, which is a stock market maximization. The biggest piece of that is that change that Reagan made in the business compensation law, allowing employees to be compensated with stock. Do you see any day that that might be rolled back and allowing for stock buybacks on the part of the corporations? 
I do. I mean, I think stock buybacks have been disastrous, and that was changed, as you pointed out, with Reagan. Before that, anything over a certain amount was not shielded from insider trading or the laws of manipulation. And I think that stock grants, fine, while they may be necessary to get companies into startups, they were not, they shouldn't be how CEOs are being compensated. And I think we need reform there. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Jessica in Riverside, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, I'm so happy to talk to both of you. I have a question. I believe that Congress can take charge in making sure the testing gets done in this country. Can they ask the Congress to declare war on the coronavirus? Because Trump always says, this is a war, and so why not declare war? And then Trump bragged yesterday how the military budget has one and a half trillion dollars in it. We had to put our military to use. We had to put our National Guards to use to do the testing. We had to get the tests. Um, I don't understand. I think Congress could take over. Well, I think you raise an excellent point, but it, it actually doesn't even require Congress. It requires FEMA. I mean, FEMA could create mobile testing sites in every part of this country. Uh, remember, FEMA's budget was slashed from 
six, seven billion, seven, eight billion uh, to four point eight billion in, 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 in this administration. It's had money diverted from its primary purpose, which is to do things like this, uh, into uh, detention uh, and into uh, tra- tracing uh, uh, undocumented immigrants. And what Trump needs to do is give the money from the Department of Homeland Security to FEMA and say, go do this in, in the different uh, sites. Uh, moreover, the Congress has allocated money for testing that isn't properly being administered. It's sitting there with HHS. I mean, if you ever want to know a time where not having political appointees, not having bureaucracies filled matter, it's now. HHS literally has not been given the clear guidance to Walgreens and CVS uh, on how to do testing and how they would get paid. Remember when President when Trump uh, four weeks ago said, oh, everyone can just go into a CVS and Walgreens and you'd get tested? And what happened? I mean, it didn't happen because his HHS has not figured out how to make it happen. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with Congressman, with your Congressman, I'm guessing. Congressman Kahana, I'm so grateful for your appearance today. I wanted to ask you about the status of the Bernie Sanders campaign, but that's not probably the question that we're going to spend a lot of time on. I think that if I could ask you a favor, I'd like to see if you could get some congressional recognition for our wonderful medical director. Dr. Sarah Cody. I think it was with her guidance that we were able to bring this curve down. And today, we have only had like 18,000 tests, and only 1,800 people have come back positive, with like less than 10% of the population. This is because of their fast action that occurred on the 13th of March. On the 13th of March, they closed the schools, everything shut down, and we are now have less than four people die today in a county of almost two million people. I think that's very spectacular. My question or my ask is, since you're sitting on the congressional campaign or the the oversight committee on economics, I'm afraid that we're going to lose the post office. We are going to be voting by mail in November. Can we have funding for postal services to guarantee an election in November? And, you know, I don't know how much enthusiasm is going to be out for Biden, but I'm just saying I want to make sure we have a free and fair election. Well, Joe, excellent point. I mean, Dr. Sarah Cody is a hero, and I wrote an op-ed in the San Francisco Chronicle detailing exactly what you said. Uh, she issued the first shelter in place in the country. It was uh, four days before California, almost a week uh, or more before New York. The former CDC director said had New York sheltered in place when Dr. Cody did, there would have been 80% fewer deaths in uh, in that state. And, and she did that because she was getting advised by Stanford epidemiologists and was really ahead of the curve. And of course, every day that people waited was exponential growth. So that's a story and a lesson that le- needs to be learned about listening to scientists and experts. And I completely agree with you on trying to pay for the postage for uh, mail. We need to make sure that vote by mail and provisions for that are part of the next stimulus. It's critical to have a fair election, and who knows what the condition is going to be in November. Paul in uh, Tucson, Arizona. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hello. Good morning. Congressman, since the Constitution, Article 2, Section 7, I think, says that all revenue bills have to originate in the House, why does the House repeatedly let the Senate write the bills, load them up with trap doors and trip wires and landmines that don't get discovered until after it's been enacted and then is left to go begging for uh, things like more control over spending, things like that. Why don't you just say we're writing the bill? That's an excellent question, actually. That's, that really is. Not only is it constitutionally uh, correct that we, the House, have the power on spending, but we also have a lot of leverage. I mean, the president needs the House to approve anything that happens. And the first PPP program was disastrous in terms of who was getting the funding. I've heard from so many small businesses who got nothing. It was basically you needed a connection with your banker at Wells Fargo or Bank of America or whatever big bank to get uh, the funding. And so what we ought to do is we ought to be giving the money, but we ought to be making sure it's going for $2,000 for every American, that it's actually going to small businesses, mom-and-pop stores, and rest, local restaurants and dry cleaners that need it, uh, that it's going to increased unemployment insurance, that it's going to people who need it the most and, cra- and craft those bills. Steve in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. 
Hey, how's it going? What I wanted to talk about is something that might not specifically affect your district, but affects a lot of people in Washington and Alaska, is the potential for this quarantine to impact their ability to work the fishing season in Alaska this summer. Thousands and thousands of people from both Washington and Alaska either work as fishermen or work in the fish processing facilities. And if the quarantine goes on well into the summer, these people are going to lose that income that they depend on. And I know that's the story for so many people throughout the country, but I feel like fishermen and the cannery workers are kind of being underrepresented in this particular case. So basically, would you be willing to work with the Congress people from Alaska and Washington to craft something to help these people? Yes, thank you for raising that. I did not know the impact on uh, fishermen uh, in Washington or Alaska. And you're right. I mean, we're probably not thinking about all of the different types of industry that are having devastating impact. But if they are unable to work and if they're losing income, we have an obligation to step up and help. And I certainly will reach out to uh, people I know, Pramila Jayapal, Derek Kilmer, and others in, in those states in Congress and see how it can help. David in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Well, thanks, Tom and Congressman. I uh, was interested in patents and whether or not the ventilator patents are stymieing getting equipment out and probably the rest of the PPG equipment. Are there farm, big pharma companies that own the patents and they're refusing to allow, you know, the generic version? David, it's a good question. I don't know the details of the patents on ventilators. We can have our staff look into it. I do know that the president could have compelled through the Defense Production Act more of the production of these ventilators, and he hasn't done so. And then we could have better used a technology to understand where the need was and where the ventilators are. I mean, there were cases where there were hospitals that had excess capacity that were sitting there, other places that needed them, and there was no way to track and catalog where ventilators needed to go. But I would have to look into the question of the patent specifically. John in Long Beach, Mississippi, you're on the air with Congressman Conniff. Yeah, I have a very simple question. Whenever the reporters are asking Donald Trump questions of any kind, he never comes out and answers them. He puts them in their place immediately. I'd like to know, would it hurt for these reporters to just confront him and say, who the hell do you think you are lying to the American people? Direct. Just, as, just like I said, said it. Very direct. What stops them? John, I think some have. I think Jim Acosta has. I, I think some have tried. Yamiche tried at one point to confront him, and he just goes on a tirade, and he then tweets it out to his base. I mean, maybe they can be more aggressive, but the problem is he's shameless, and he relishes that kind of confrontation. Yeah. Bill in Delta, Colorado. Hey, Bill, you're on the air. Hi. I just have heard that the insurance industry has instructed Congress to fund COBRA premiums for all these people that are out of work. So speaking of propping up uh, private industry, are you going to speak out about that and recognize the opportunity that we have now to kind of deflate these corporations as opposed to keeping them alive for another generation? Tom, did you catch the last part? Well, he mentioned that Congress is funding COBRA. I didn't know about that. And then he asked if you were going to uh, continue to support these corporations or let them collapse. Right. On the COBRA point, I mean, it's an excellent point, because what we have said is, why aren't you funding Medicare for that period? I mean, let's do the cost of Medicare. It, It would cost about $40 billion a month to cover everyone who's currently uninsured on Medicare. And if you're willing to cover COBRA, why aren't we putting those folks on Medicare by the way, you do that for 10 months, that's still less than the $500 billion stimulus. So, Bill, you raise an excellent point that instead of the funding of the COBRA, which is going to these private insurance companies, which isn't often adequate, we ought to be covering having these people join Medicare, even if it's temporary. Yeah. Corky in Rochester, New York. You're on the other Congress in Connor. Hey, what's going on with these states that decide they just want to open up their economy? I was just telling the call screener. Let's say Pennsylvania decides to open up their economy. That puts us New Yorkers at risk. You know, they come over here and willy-nilly can do anything they want. Look, you're absolutely right. This is why we need national policy. I mean, the reality is that the president can't 
force states to open, but the president could have had regulations that were more restrictive than states. And you can't solve a pandemic with just local and state responses. Frankly, you need international responses. So the first thing was the president has taken a me-first attitude in foreign policy, but then we don't even have a national policy. And why we continue to need national policy. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Connor. Thanks once again for the great town hall. You know, we have so many people just trying to tread water to get by right now, Congressman. What do you think of the ideas of the government paying hotels to house the homeless as San Francisco is trying to do? I don't think they've been successful yet. And also Chef Jose Andres' idea to have the government pay restaurants to stay open to feed the hungry because all these commercial farmers are dumping their food away. He basically said, well, why can't we be paying hotels to help house the homeless? And uh, that makes sense, especially as those hotels may need business. And why can't we be paying some restaurants to feed those who are hungry and homeless? And I think both are sensible proposals that both help business, small business at the time that they need it, and take care of our most vulnerable populations. Tony in Lester, Mass. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. I was wondering if the $10 billion for the Postal Service was approved. It is not, and it's mind-boggling. In a, in a nation where we're spending $2.3 trillion on stimulus, $500 billion on large corporations, that we can't find $10 billion for the post office. But it shows that these fights are rarely about money. They're about values. And the Republicans have been wanting to privatize the Postal Service for ages. Of course, when they can explain to me how FedEx is going to deliver packages for 50 cents across this country, I'll listen. But the reality is the Postal Service is efficient and it allows everyone to participate without exorbitant costs. Tom, in Media, Pennsylvania, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yeah, I'll be quick here. All these people are going to be coming back to work in the construction industry, hopefully, when this breaks. Wouldn't this be a really good time to, in this stimulus bill, to insist and maybe put even some money into a real robust enforcement of our E-Verify system with much more enforcement and higher penalties to employers who knowingly hire people that are undocumented to get Americans back to work. I think both sides could agree on that if that's what's holding up money. And maybe you could put that in. It wouldn't cost a lot. I'm fine and believe that the resolution to the immigration issue should have been holding the employers accountable and not the undocumented individuals who are coming here off in extenuating circumstances. The real crime is being committed by these corporations who break unions or undercut American wages, and I'm happy to hold them to account. The E-Verify system, though, has often penalized the undocumented as well, in addition to the employers. I'm reluctant to be calling for greater investment in E-Verify, but if you're talking about greater enforcement against the employers, I'm all for that. Melvin in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do and say. My question is this, and I know it's a loaded question. Why, with the stimulus package for the corporate bailouts, can't a condition be written in or written into law as to they have to eliminate their offshore accounts, their foreign tax havens, and have to register here in the United States and pay taxes? I understand with the Vichy Republicans, it won't happen, but is it possible? Thank you. Not only is it possible, it should have been done, and we should have done equity in these companies. I mean, if you believe in the free market and these companies like United mismanaged their reserves, right? I mean, no one is saying they could have predicted the pandemic, but how do you not have two months, three months of payroll in your reserves? I mean, if a family, a young family didn't have those kind of savings, uh, the conservatives would jump all over them for fiscal responsibility. And most families can't afford those kind of expenses because they don't have the wages. But so the corporations mismanaged them. If they had gone to a bank, the bank would have said, okay, I'll loan you money, or a VC would have loaned them money, but they would have taken equity. Why is it that we have bailed them out with no equity for the U.S. taxpayer, uh, with no requirements, as you point out, for them to pay tax or do things differently? That is what infuriates people. People have no problem with giving them money to pay their workers because they don't want workers to be hurt, but they're concerned that the taxpayers didn't get anything in return. Jane in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman. 
Medicare has been empowered to do telemedicine, but only through the end of the year. And that should be expanded, but so should in-home visits for Medicare and Medicaid, because there are a lot of people that have very simple things that they're dying from, you know, not having their heart medication monitored, et cetera, because they can't go to a health care facility. And home health care visits should be included in the next package. Jen, I agree with that. I agree that telehealth should be funded, not just for this crisis, but more generally. And I agree that uh, in-home visits should be funded. I think that will save money and improve health. So I agree with both of those excellent suggestions. Don in Seattle, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Congressman Kana. I know you're on the um, House Armed Services Committee, and I know you voted against the um, National Defense Authorization Act. My congressman is Representative Adam Smith, who is the chair of that committee. And anyway, the Democrats pretty much gave in to all of the Republican demands. Don, real quick, we just have 30 seconds left. So anyway, how can we stop the Democrats from giving in to this and educate the public about the military waste? There you go. Thank you. I appreciate that, Don. I think we have an opportunity here when tragically over 40,000 people have died from COVID. People are going to ask, why is it that we're spending 1.5% of money on the CDC and spending $740 billion on defense? Aren't there other areas in science and vaccines and public health and education in this country that ought to be funded? And we need to be asking the hard questions of what national security looks like in the 21st century. Brilliant. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always a pleasure having you with us, and I appreciate it. I always love it. Congressman Rokana. Our book today is Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World by Anand Giridharadas. This is from the prologue. All around us in America is the clank, clank, clank of the new in our companies and economy, our neighborhoods and schools, our technologies, and social fabric. But these novelties have failed to translate into broadly shared progress and the betterment of our overall civilization. American scientists make the most important discoveries in medicine and genetics and publish more biomedical research than those of any other country. But the average American's health remains worse and slower improving than that appears in other rich countries. And in certain years, life expectancy actually declines. American inventors create astonishing new ways to learn, thanks to the power of video and the Internet, many of them free of charge. But the average 12th grader tests more poorly in reading today than in 1992. The country has had a culinary renaissance, as one publication put it, but it has failed to improve the nutrition of most people, with the incidence of obesity and related conditions rising over time. The tools for becoming an entrepreneur appear to be more accessible than ever for the student who learns coding online or the Uber driver. But the share of young people who own a business has fallen by two-thirds since the 1980s. America has birthed the wildly successful online book superstore called Amazon. And another company, Google, has scanned more than 25 million books for public use. But illiteracy has remained stubbornly in place. And the fraction of Americans who read at least one work of literature a year has dropped by almost a quarter in recent decades. The government has more data at its disposal and more ways of talking and listening to citizens, but only one quarter as many people find it trustworthy as in the tempestuous 1960s. A successful society is a progress machine. It takes in the raw material innovation and produces broad human advancement. America's machine is broken. When the fruits of change have fallen on the United States in recent decades, the very fortunate have basketed almost all of them. For instance, The average pre-tax income of the top tenth of Americans has doubled since 1980. That of the top 1% has more than tripled. And that of the top 0.001% has risen more than sevenfold. Even as the average pre-tax income of the bottom half of Americans has stayed almost precisely the same. These familiar figures amount to three and a half decades worth of wondrous head-spinning change with zero impact on the average pay of 117 million Americans. Meanwhile, the opportunity to get ahead has been transformed from a shared reality to a prerequisite of already being ahead. Among Americans born in 1940, those raised at the top of the middle class and the bottom of the lower middle class shared a roughly 90% chance of realizing the so-called American dream. Among Americans born in 1984 and maturing into adulthood today, the new reality is split screen. 
Those raised near the top of the income ladder now have a 70% chance of realizing the dream. Meanwhile, those close to the bottom, more in need of elevation, have a 35% chance of climbing above their parents' station. And it's not only progress and money that the fortunate monopolize. Rich American men, who tend to live longer than the average citizens of any other country, now live 15 years longer than poor American men, who endure only as long as men in Sudan and Pakistan. Thus, many millions of Americans on the left and right feel one thing in common, that the game is rigged against people like them. Perhaps this is why we hear constant condemnation of the system, for it is the system that people expect to turn fortuitous developments into societal progress. Instead, that system in America and around the world has been organized to siphon the gains from innovation upward, such that the fortunes of the world's billionaires now grow at more than double the pace of everyone else's. And the top 10% of humanity have come to hold 90% of the planet's wealth. It's no wonder that the American voting public, like other publics around the world, has turned more resentful and suspicious in recent years, embracing populist movements on the left and the right, bringing socialism and nationalism into the center of political life in a way that once seemed unthinkable. There is a spreading recognition on both sides of the ideological divide that the system is broken and has to change. Some elites faced with this kind of gathering anger have hidden behind walls and gates on landed estates, emerging only to try to seize even greater political power to protect themselves against the mob. They know the problem and they want to be part of the solution. Actually, they want to lead the search for solutions. They believe that their solutions deserve to be at the forefront of social change. They may join or support movements initiated by ordinary people looking to fix aspects of our society, but more often these elites start initiatives of their own, taking on social change as though it were just another stock in their portfolio or another corporation to restructure. The book Winners Take All by Anand Giridharis. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. 
The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. Boy, I've got such a huge pile of news here. Oh, Trump International Hotel. Somebody put up signs that are going, that are being slapped on the Trump hotels. This one is on the one in New York City. It's got a picture of Eric Trump. And the headline says, we are not here to help. Not is underlined. And then there's a bunch of check marks. No free rooms for healthcare workers. No beds donated to COVID patients. No assistance for the homeless. Yes to bailout money. <laughs> it's amazing. There's just so much going on. J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, has been secretly importing masks and things. The Chicago Sun-Times reported this last week. I mentioned last week there is a governor who is uh, importing stuff from China, PPE, personal protective equipment, but he's having to do it in secret. And this is a quote from the Chicago Sun-Times, quote, out of fear the Trump administration might seize the cargo for the federal stockpile. And of course, the federal stockpile is being held in reserve for when the red states get hit. Ron DeSantis is getting all he wants, right? White House Deputy Press Secretary Judd Deere said to Real Clear Politics that Pritzker, the governor of uh, Illinois, quote, through ignorance or incompetence or a propensity to politicize, was just wrong when he said that Illinois got very little help from the Trump administration. And then in Colorado, the federal officials stepped in to buy 500 much-needed ventilators out from under the nose of Colorado state officials. They thought they had them. And then Trump gave them 100 and said, oh, Cory Gardner asked me for these, so I'm going to give them to you. Remember when Trump said we are going to have 4 million test kits? Remember when he put a maggot hat on and went to the CDC and said anybody who wants to get tested can get tested? Yeah, he was lying. He was lying then. I mean, that was in February, as I recall. He was lying then. He's lying now. He lies every day on TV. It's just, it's gotten unwatchable. Rudy in Atlanta. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, uh, if we leave it up to the American media, yes, they will probably get away with it for the short term. Now, the long term, you're going to have bodies on the street and they're going to probably try to um, overplay that with, you know, sports coming back out and everything starting to open back up. So they're going to try to whitewash it and say that, hey, you know, everything is fine. But, yeah, for the short term, I can see them getting away with it. I mean, at least for the next election. Till, I give till them a month, time. Rudy. I think they're going to get away with it for a few weeks. For some reason, because Governor Cuomo of New York has come out on TV and said, well, it looks like we're hitting the, starting to flatten the curve and we're hitting the peak and all that kind of stuff. For some reason, all across America, everybody's behaving like he's speaking for the entire country. He's not. This has not started yet in a big way to burn right. through the rest of America's cities. And in particular, it has not yet started to burn through the Republican-controlled states where, A, there's no Medicaid expansion, so people don't have access to health care. And B, you've got governors who are refusing to put into place stay-at-home orders. I just don't think that he can BS his way out of all kinds of things. And he has done, you know, Russian collusion and, and uh, you know, all the various grifts and stealing money and having the Secret Service pay thousand bucks a night for hotel rooms that he can BS his way through an enormous amount of stuff. Well, but you can't BS well, a virus. Well, he's going to try, Tom, because I go down to Florida and uh, these people down there and, and with a couple of voices of authority, you know, you got billionaires that can shoot out a couple of million dollars to some people with authoritarian voices and everybody try to snap too. I hope you're right. I hope yeah. you're right, Tom. I hope I hope right. I am too. I mean, you know, what paved the way, this would be a, probably a good time for all of us to go back and read a good history of the Great Depression. In fact, I read several of them when I was writing that book back in 2012 when I was writing The Crash of 2016. I need to go back and find those. I'm not sure where in my bookshelves they are and revisit them. In fact, I'm not even sure they're here. They might still be in uh, D.C. 
or they might, you know, I might have left them in D.C. But it wasn't, Americans were willing to cut uh, Herbert Hoover a lot of slack for the first six months or so after the crash. But by the middle of 1930, you know, within six months or eight months, uh, Americans were starting to get seriously PO'd at Herbert Hoover. And by 31 and throughout the year of 1932, as Hoover was finally starting to do something, he, he started this National Reconstruction Administration, as I recall, it was called the NRA. But it was, you know, it was too little too late. And that led to not only Franklin Roosevelt becoming president, but the Democrats, with the exception of two anomalous two-year periods in uh, 1957 and uh, 57, 58, as I recall, and once in the 1960s. But outside of that, the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives from 1933 all the way up until Newt Gingrich came in, you know, in what, 96, as I recall, you know, during the Clinton administration. And I think that was the result of Clinton having gone full neoliberal. And America was like, oh, okay, if the Democrats are Republicans now, we'll elect Republicans too. But, you know, I think that the more word gets out there, Rudy, the more it's going to fall apart. Rudy, thanks a lot for the call. Lisa in Montreal, Canada. Oh, speaking of Canada. Hey, Lisa, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm so surprised at what happened in Nova Scotia because I was surprised that it didn't make American news at all. And uh, it it was pretty, pretty devastating completely just mind-boggling here for us. Now it tops what happened in Quebec in uh, 95, 30 years ago, actually. Uh, so we have 16 dead. It's just, it just doesn't happen here. So it happens in a small rural town in Nova Scotia, and it's just, it's, 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 it's hit home hard, especially with the COVID going on also. So these people were yeah. all in lockdown, and they were like sitting ducks. It's just... Uh, <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable yeah this guy if i remember right he was going house to house killing people and setting their houses on fire yeah exactly he was using rcmp as camouflage so he had a car with the decals on right. it he everything was, he was and dressed like a cop dressed exactly he he also uh, took down an officer to an rcmp a 23 year, year veteran and it uh, it's 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 just uh, stunned, shocked Canada completely. I mean, uh, yeah. so uh, and she was like a I wife said, and it, mother. Yeah. Exactly. Lisa, question. Tell me about the two thousand yeah. dollars a month that everybody in Canada is getting. Tell me how that works. Oh, okay. What do you know about it? Okay, that's the that's the serve that's the Canadian Emergency uh, Relief Fund. So it was passed by Parliament, and within three days, you were able to apply online or on the phone. And no questions asked, and everybody receives $2,000 a month until this disaster is over. (laughs) It's worked out very well. I mean, everybody's applying, everybody's covered. If you're on social benefits already, you don't really need it. But for anybody, yeah, I saw a story on the CBC. I I actually downloaded their news app this morning, and I could just uh, read the news. And there was a story about how women who are pregnant apparently already get a big benefit from the government, so they don't qualify for it. But that's a loophole, and they're trying to fix that so that pregnant women can get access to it. But that appears to be the only glitch in the whole system. Yeah, that's it. For pregnant women, it's the only one. Um, Otherwise, everybody's covered. Of course, you have to fill out a short questionnaire when you apply. Mm -hmm. But within three days, you have direct deposit for your check is in the mail within five most Canadians have direct deposit because we all receive family allowance and child care benefits and there's a lot of social structure and free health care and <laughs> cheap health right but our only yeah. glitch with health care you know, our vulnerable has been the elderly here we've Quebec especially has taken a big hit because we have a lot of nursing homes we've lost 80 percent of our deaths has been in uh, long-term care facilities so yeah. in Quebec the biggest problem was the lack of staff staff were just you know getting sick and so they called in the uh, the Canadian uh, Air Force and uh, the army is taking up a lot of the slack Canadian medics. I saw that yesterday on CBC that the, that the military yeah. has come in to staff yeah. the nursing in, homes in, in Quebec especially yeah. yes because there's a very big elderly population here and a lot of them oh, are in government run yeah government run nursing homes so Lisa, you are so lucky to live in a country who actually has a leader who has, you know, a modicum of intellect and and character and 
No complaints about Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Lisa, Lisa, Thank thanks you. for watching our show on YouTube there in Montreal, Canada. And thanks for calling in and filling thanks. us in and on keep, all the details. Keep up the good work. I'll do my very best, Lisa. You too. Thank you so much. We'll be back. Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. A couple more quick stories for you here. There's a woman in Alabama. Her name is uh, Santa Rica Splunge. She was talking on, uh, this is a story from uh, the Alabama newspapers, AL.com. She got sick, right? She made a trip to Savannah, Georgia, and she caught the coronavirus, and she got really sick, and she made a video about it saying, boy, I wish I hadn't taken that trip. Uh, She was diagnosed in mid-March. She's 29 years old. And she had believed these rumors on Facebook that African Americans were less likely to catch the virus. She says, in my mind, I'd started to think, I haven't heard of any African Americans that have this virus. It seemed like the culture could not be touched. I was the first person I knew in this area that got it. And uh, this was the St. Patrick's Day weekend that she got sick. So she made this Facebook video, and it's been viewed by more than 10,000 times. It's drawn hundreds of comments. And this is the horrible thing. She is being trashed by people on Facebook who call themselves Christians, saying that she got sick because she wasn't a good enough Christian. She didn't go to church enough. I mean, this is what happens when you've got religious leaders like Jerry Falwell Jr. and Franklin Graham, Tony, uh, what's his name, Snipes or whatever his name is down in Florida, the megachurch pastor, the megachurch pastor in Louisiana. These guys who are saying, keep coming to my church, keep putting your money in the collection plate. Come on, we got to keep this business running. And they sell this sales pitch that Jesus will protect you. And, you know, it just it's not true. Going to church is one of the major causes of outbreaks of this virus, sadly, tragically. You know, people go to church for, for community and for faith and for, and for uh, you know, reassurance and, and succor. They go to church for a sense of the transcendent. And what they get is a disease that might kill them and certainly will kill their grandparents. Uh, you know, it's just so sad. This is over the Daily Kos, Laura Clausen writing about this. Uh, the, the Trump White House is finally actually doing something about fighting, aggressively fighting something. They're not fighting the coronavirus. You know, they're letting the states compete with each other and then get outbid by the federal government for equipment, personal protection equipment. They're not providing us with test kits. Donald Trump has completely failed in all those areas. But they have declared war on one thing, inspectors general. They have declared war on oversight. Trump has nominated a uh, former White House lawyer to be the guy who's going to oversee the $500 billion that he's, he's got his grubby little hands on with uh, him and, Tim, and Steve Mnuchin with this, uh, two and a half tri- this, two and a half, this $2 trillion bailout uh, that was just passed. He's going to be the special inspector general. His name is Brian Miller. He previously worked as a White House lawyer to obstruct the investigation by Congress into Trump's crimes with Ukraine. House Democrats, this is a representative, two members of Congress, Benny Thompson and Carolyn Maloney, wrote, We are particularly troubled that Mr. Kushner's work may even involve directing FEMA and HHS officials to prioritize specific requests from people who are able to get Kushner on the phone. The House Democrats would like some oversight on that, too. I wouldn't expect Brian Miller to provide that either. And Brian Miller is prepared to fight congressional subpoenas. <laughs> if you want to subpoena us to get information on how, you know, how much money we've passed out to the Trump organization, good luck. Take it to court. The Supreme Court will rule on it after the first of the year. As uh, Laura Clauston writes, can't have the peons knowing what Prince Jared's been doing after all. And finally, I got, a, I got another letter from Donald Trump. Dear Fred, yesterday I asked my staff to send me the donation records for my most loyal members, the true leaders of our movement who will help carry us to victory in November. Not necessarily the biggest donors, but the most loyal, reliable, and dedicated donors. Patriots I can count on to take a leadership role and make a critical donation when it really makes a difference. Fred, your donor record turned up in the top 1%. Take a look for yourself. 
And here it says supporter, Fred Flintstone, City, Portland, State, Oregon. Zip code gives my zip code. Donor since July 29, 2016, which is the day that I gave him five bucks. 2020 campaign cycle gifts, zero. Lifetime total, $5. I'm in his top 1%. And then he continues the letter. He says, when we've really needed your help, Fred, you have stepped up time and time again. But where have you been in 2020? Today, I'm calling on you to take the next step and become an official 2020 Trump gold card member during this critical 2020 election year. We can't win in November without your support. If you've saved your payment information, your donation will go through immediately. Oh, God, we have got to get ready. Joe Biden needs to go into Trump in, into, into Trump mode, campaign mode immediately. He needs to get a vice presidential nominee who can be on the news every single night. We need to be pushing back. We need to be calling out what's going on. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 